Hello and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. It's kind of hard for me to be a Christian in. Like, I, I don't want to have that conversation with that person. They're going to think I'm a bigot. They're going to think I'm ignorant. So I'm just, I'm just going to keep it hidden. I don't want it to come up. But John's gospel is telling us that we have to have a public faith. That, that if we are really saved internally, it will be expressed outwardly. And so I want to ask you, what are some areas of your life that if you're honest, if it was just me and you over a cup of coffee, that you would say, man, I'm just not displaying my faith if I'm honest. It could be at work. It could be with family. It could be in your dorm room. It could be whatever phase of life that it could actually cost you to bring up your faith. When I went to college in my freshman year, I lived in a dorm. And I was convinced that I was going to reach people for Jesus by being cool. That if I was just cool, somehow people would be like, why are you cool? And I would tell them, it's because I know Christ. And they would fall on their face and repent of their sins. And I would be the greatest evangelist since Billy Graham. And I'm going to tell you right now, it did not work. Some people say it didn't work because I'm not cool. I disagree with them. But it didn't work for other reasons. So I remember this story when I was, I was getting ready to go to church. I'm in the dorm room, I'm getting my button up on, heading out. And this, and this woman on the dorm room floor, who I knew very well, she says, hey, where are you headed? And I was like, here's my moment. I'm going to tell her she's going to come to Jesus. And I said, I'm headed to church. And she says, oh, my gosh, you? I would have never guessed. And it hit me that by keeping my faith hidden, I was influencing no one, but they were influencing me. That my faith really was not public at all, so why would she know? What about for you? What areas of your life would people say, I would have never guessed? And how might you change that? Let's keep reading in Luke's gospel. We'll start in verse 15 here. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork in his hand, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire, so that many other exhortations he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John and put him in prison. So let's walk through this a little bit. You see in verse 15 that people are beginning to think that maybe John the Baptist is Christ. Because John the Baptist keeps telling people, Christ is coming, Christ is coming. And they say, well, maybe you're the Christ, which is the exact opposite of what John wants them to think. And so what I want you to notice is how much John rebukes them for thinking that. He says, you think that I am great in verse 16? He says, he says you think that my baptism is good? You think what I am doing is worthy? Wait till you meet the man, the Christ that I am talking about. 
wait till you see his baptism. He is so holy and worthy that I can't even untie his shoes, which was a position of the lowest of lowest slaves to do. Wait till you meet him. And then in verse 18, it says that John continues to preach the good news. And in verse 19, King Herod, in typical fashion, does the worst thing possible and puts him in prison. Here's what I want you to notice. John's whole role was to prepare the way. Really, his ministry was a ministry of getting out of the way so that Christ could be made more famous. And through this whole text right here, you see that Christ keeps is the main focus for John. People say, hey, John, are you the Christ? John could exploit that opportunity and say, yes, I am. Give me some money. I want to I I take advantage of this. But he says, don't you dare think of me as the Christ. As he's facing opposition, he continues to preach the gospel, and then King Herod locks him up, and notice John goes away quietly. John has a following at this point of a lot of people. He could say, guys, make it the worst day in Herod's life for him to send me to prison. Start a riot. Make it a terrible mistake for him so that he'll let me out. But he goes away quietly. Many commentators say John's Going to prison quietly is the last part of his ministry of wanting to prepare the way for Jesus so that he could be removed entirely. What I want you to see is John's humility. Later on, when John's in prison, we know from different gospels, like in Matthew, that John is just sitting in prison, and he has no communication with Christ, and he's wondering, did I get it right? Did I prepare the way for the Messiah? Did I do a good job? And so he sends messengers to Jesus. And they ask him, they say, hey, we're from John, Jesus. We want to know, did John get it right? Did he do the right thing? And Jesus tells the messengers, tell him what you see. And they see Jesus healing people. They see him reordering the temple to the way that God intended. They see him truly be the Messiah. In a sense, Jesus says to them, go tell John he prepared the way for all of this, that he did a job well done. So what I want you to see, point two here, is that our faith requires humility, just like John the Baptist displayed. That our faith, though it is public, it is a humble faith, a faith where we know our place and we know our position and we know what our job is. That we don't ever get confused. That we follow the model of John the Baptist and we know who we are. We know whose we are. And we don't try to take advantage of it. I grew up in a very artistic household. My mom was a professional artist for most of her life. And so her, her job for us was to get us to appreciate art history. And so she would show us Lots of modern art of Jackson Pollock and Pablo Picasso and Diego Rivera. And she'd make us look at it and try to understand it and, and, and see what emotions that we get from it. And what do we learn just from artistic expression. And to be honest, I never really learned anything. I was more of like a jock. I wasn't into it. Until one day in high school, I was shown one painting that I say changes my life, and that's an expression we use a lot when really nothing has. But I I mean this sincerely. Very few things have changed my life, but I want to share with you a painting of John the Baptist that really changed my life. And I want to just take some time, and I want to look at it with you, and I want to walk through it. Um, This painting, if we can put it up here, is by Matthias Grunewald. 
and it was painted in, in 1515, so kind of right around the time of the Reformation. And we have beautiful artistic expressions at this time. And, and this one, I just love. Um, this is why they say never sit in the front row of a movie theater right here. Um, the reason why I love it, I want to just walk you through some of the characters. So you have Jesus here in, in the middle. And at the time, most painters only painted Jesus with absolute contentment on his face. That he was this meek and mild human being that never experienced anger or frustration or experienced any type of pain in his life. He always looked like he was just peaceful. But Grunewald throws that out the window and he says, no, our Christ suffered for our sins. And he paints one of the most visible expressions of death I have ever seen. You just see a mangled Messiah. I mean, it's just lifeless and gut-wrenching. And then here... To my left, you see Mary Magdalene, who's in line with her biblical character and just at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him in and out, in and out, always worshiping. And then you have Mary, the mother, seeing her son abused, mocked, beaten, and killed, and is in just distress. And you have the Apostle John, who's different from John the Baptist, holding her, and you can only imagine what he's saying, it's going to be okay. He told us he's going to come back. It's going to be okay. And then you have my favorite part, which is here is John the Baptist. And Grunewald was able to paint all of John's ministry in one single expression. So you can see that it's John because as Mark tells us, this guy looks a little bit out of place. His facial hair isn't trimmed. He's wearing a different clothing, but he's doing the one thing that God told him to do. What is he doing? He's pointing to Jesus. Look at that elongated finger. That, that is John's whole purpose in this life. Imagine how dumb it would be if John did this with his ministry. Look at me. I was prophesied about. I'm in the Old Testament. The same angel that came to him came to my mother too. No. He only points to Jesus. And here's what I want you to see. That is a humble faith, but that is also the faith that we ought to emulate. That on a good day, on a bad day, you and I are commanded to point to Jesus. When we get hired, when we get fired, we point to Jesus. When someone we love is born, when someone we love dies, we point to Jesus. All that we go through, all that we experience, the good and the bad, when life hits you with depression, when you're up and to the right, when New York City is the best day for you or when it gives you the worst day, with all that you have and all that you are, your entire bodily position, inward and outward, is one of pointing to Jesus. This is who we ought to be. Our biggest aspiration in life should be that we get to point to Jesus with all that we are. With our job, with our life, with our family, we cannot take any credit because we have been changed. It is not about me, it is about him. Right behind John in, in red, you, you might be able to barely see it in Latin, it says the expression, he must increase and I must decrease, which John the Baptist said in John 3. So we have a humble faith. Now I want to do a little transition here. We're going to look at the start of Jesus' ministry. Um, stay with me in, in Luke 3. We're going to go to verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. 
And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. So here you have the start of Jesus' ministry. And there's so much that we could get into, we don't have the time for, but I want you to notice a few things. First, you have the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. And then you have the Father's voice, which is significant because we've been through this, right? God has not spoken. No one has heard from him in hundreds of years. Many people are thinking, are we following the wrong God? And God's voice comes in thundering to start his son's ministry. So the whole trinity is present. What, what a way to start your ministry. And then the father says something to the son that should utterly change my life and your life. The father says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Now let me tell you why that is unbelievable. Because God the father could have said anything. I sent you down here for a reason, son. Get to it. We've got a ministry to do. We've got people to heal. People are waiting. They've been waiting for me for 500 years. Let's get going. He does not say that, though. He says, I am well pleased. Now, the reason why this should change your life is because this is what theologians call the great exchange, which means that when Christ came down and took our position, that of a human, that of a sinner, and died our death on the cross that we should have died, if we put our faith in him, we get his position. And what is his position? It's this right here. It's the Father looking down saying, I love you and I am well pleased. The Apostle Paul put it this way, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who your, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So what is Paul saying? When the Father looks down on you, if you are in Christ, he sees not you in your sin, but he sees his son Christ with whom he is well pleased. And that's good news. The great church father, Irenaeus, put it this way. Jesus Christ became as we are, that what we might become as he is. That we are hidden in Christ. That no matter how terrible we feel that we are, no, how, no matter how much sin we feel like we possess, if we are in Christ, the father looks at us and says, my daughter, my son, I am well pleased in you. That's the beauty of the gospel. But what about when God looks down and I'm in my sin that I just cannot shake? I've tried to, but I keep committing it. What about when I'm in the middle of that sin and God looks down? He's well pleased. But what about when I use the words towards my spouse that I shouldn't have used and I know I shouldn't have used them and I said a minute? He's well pleased. What about when I cheat on my taxes? He's well pleased. What about he's well pleased? If we are in Christ we are his beloved son, his beloved daughter. He is well pleased. Tim Keller puts it this way. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Um, I used to, again, like I said, I used to live in California. And a big thing about California is we have Disneyland. Big attraction. And there's a pastor named Rankin Wilborn who tells a story of a woman in his church who worked at Disneyland, and she had a really tough childhood, where her childhood was, you had to perform in order to be loved. You gotta get straight A's in order to get a hug. You gotta do well in sports in order to have you know, a good meal. What, it was just a constant, gotta perform in order to be accepted. 
And then she took a job at Disneyland where she was Mickey. She wore like the, the Mickey costume. And she said she had never experienced so much love until she put on this costume. She'd put on the costume and walk around Disneyland. All these kids would run to her with the biggest smile on her face. And people want to take pictures with her. And they're so excited to see her. And she said, at that moment, it clicked. I realized what it meant to be in Christ. That I was hidden in something. I was there. I was present. But people saw something else and they loved it. That is what it's like to be in Christ. We are hidden in him. We are hidden in Christ. Now, when the father says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. I realize that I'm speaking to a generation, as psychology today calls us, the fatherless generation. That when I say the father looks at you with love and he looks at you and says, I am well pleased. Many of us in this room either didn't ever have that. We didn't have a father present in the home to tell us that. Or maybe we had a father present but wasn't able to say it. And what I want to tell you today, I want to extend to you. The offer of the psalm. Psalm 27 says, Though my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord receives me gladly. That, that there's something about the father's love that meets all of our insecurities, that meets all the things that we wish we had. When he looks down on us and says, My son, my daughter, I am well pleased. My invitation to you is to take what, what, the, what the father says, let that be said over you. If you're not in Christ, Make it applicable to you by becoming a part of the family of God. There are a lot of messages out there of doom and gloom and your car warranty and someone stole your identity. And all of them sound fake, but this is the real message. The message of the gospel that says, my son, my daughter, I am well pleased in you and I love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you gave us an example in John the Baptist, of what faith ought to be like. That our faith must be public, but it must be humble. That we point to you with all we have and that all we are. God, I pray that whatever sphere of life that we have or we're timid to tell people about you, you would empower us to do so. And God, I pray for us in the room that if, if we don't know the expression that God the Father looks upon us and he loves us, I pray that we would receive it today. So God, we love you and we, we're so grateful for your son that you have given to us. It's your name that we pray. Amen.